Begging for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and reading for our text verse 7. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. 1 Peter 5 verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The Apostle Peter, in writing to the uh, scattered uh, brethren and tribes, the people of God, he desires to put into practice that which our Lord said to him before he fell and denied his Lord those three times. When thou art converted or when thou art restored, strengthen thy brethren. I often like to think of that aim, that desire that Peter had in these two epistles. It is to strengthen the brethren. And really that is what the gospel should be. To strengthen, to pour in oil and wine, to comfort all those that mourn, to help the brethren when they, like Peter, are brought into Satan sieve, when they are tempted and tried, when they are left to do things which, looking back on them, fills them with grief and sorrow, like Peter who went out and wept bitterly. And so we have in the epistles here those things that are for our comfort, And those things which are directions, exhortations that are for our good. And our text is such one of those. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. The meaning of course is that anxious care. Predominantly but really all our care. But what our Lord has in view in the inspired word here is the same as what he taught on the Sermon on the Mount. I would have you without carefulness and that we are to be uh, careful uh, of nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication make known our requests unto God as Paul writes to the Philippians. And it is that same uh, way that we are to not be like dear Martha who was cumbered about much serving. Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things but one thing is needful. Mary had chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. And so it is in this same vain the same way that Peter writes casting all your care upon him for he careth for you and how many cares that we may have and I want to think in before we come to some points uh, to think of those cares that 
we may have. And certainly all mankind has those things that burden them and many times the Lord uses such troubles and trials to bring a soul to him, to awaken a need when man cannot help, when man fails, when he's at the end of his tether, then he is brought by the Spirit to look unto the Lord. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. At this time we have much uncertainty in our nation that will be affecting uh, the lives of very many. Financially, must be touching nearly every household, and then when they may be thrown into that, uh, perhaps an uncertainty of employment, uncertainty of the means of earning our daily bread, and when mortgages increasing, power costs increasing, many things are changing in a way that we haven't seen or haven't uh, realised in this country for some 25 years, I think. And certainly when we first came over, then there had been a similar time. And we had people that were living around us, those that were paying off a £30,000 debt for a house that they had not got. They had fallen into arrears, the bank had taken over the house, sold it over their head, negative equity, and they were renting then, but they got this 40,000 loan, 30,000 loan, and nothing to show for it whatsoever. And we can see those sort of times coming again. And it may be that that is your care tonight, not perhaps entered fully into it yet, but maybe see it in the future or see it on the horizon or maybe it's not for us but our children and our loved ones and we wonder how that they will fare and whether they will get by. So we have those cares. We've first been through the many cares of COVID and afflictions and health cares. They come upon us sometimes very expectedly and again with loved ones as well. And as years increase, I often like to think of it as set forth in Ecclesiastes 12. We get the description there of the body slowly being taken down. And it comes as a knock first, like a gentle knocking from the Lord when we need glasses or need hearing aids or need... Uh, crowns in our teeth and things like that but then when you read that the windows are darkened that the grinders are sound of grinders is low because the grinders are few and that there is not the hearing of the sound of the bird and all of these infirmities they remind us that this mortal must be brought down to the grave it must be brought down and more and more as I get older, notice things we haven't got, the youthful body we used to have. And some vainly try all their days trying to patch it up. And not wrong, of course, to get healing and health where we can. But in the end, the Lord is reminding us, this is not your rest. There is for the people of God a 
eternal mansion and you need a celestial body, you need an incorruptible body for that. And yet these things can become a great care for us, cares over ourselves, cares for our families, and many of our elderly friends that we look after in our locality down in Cranbrook, you notice our things that weren't a burden to them maybe only a year or two ago, now more and more a burden and a care. This is one of those texts that in one way will be needed more and more as we grow older. But not only that, there's the soul's care. And it is a blessed thing if we have been quickened into life, but for the first time in our life we have a concern for our soul. Where will we spend eternity? And how is it with us? How is it with our soul? Is it well with thy soul? And when sins become to be a burden. That's not just at the beginning. Now I find as I go on that I'm remembering sins in my childhood, remembering things that I did. They come back with painfulness and sometimes there's unexpected triggers and it will suddenly bring back something that I did, something that I said, things that I felt I've been pardoned, forgiven, and things that have been done against loved ones, and I know I've sought their pardon, I've received it, and, and yet one cannot as well forget it, and the pain is still felt. And those, when we get low, those sins rise up, and it is a care then as to are they dealt with, are they forgiven, are they blotted out, has the Lord atoned for them? Is it well with my soul? What of eternity? And when we see those, and recently I've been at the bedside of those who have been taken as they breathe their last, and the reality of seeing one that you've had communion fellowship with uh, for, for many years, uh, and then you see their lifeless body. And, and you realise that soul is gone. And that must be us one day. We ourselves must depart this body. And in that sense it is right, it is good for us to be rightly careful and prayerful and watchful over our souls. It is a good and right thing to be exercised over our souls. But anxious, burdensome care is that which is counter to a soul seeking salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We may have those cares for the Church of God. The Apostle Paul, he says that there fell to him the care of all the churches. I don't know that that was a, a burden but he dealt with it in a way that he dealt with his own thorn in the flesh and own trials, seeking the grace of God and the help of God. He says regarding his ministry and compared with those others that ministered, I laboured more abundantly than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. 
And so he put his care into a productive labour and seeking that grace and help of the Lord. What is specifically spoken of against in the word of God is when those cares, they discourage us, they turn us away from the Lord, they open our ear to the devil and shut it to the Lord, and they bring us into despondency and darkness of mind. And then it is that those cares, and really before the cares get to that stage, we have this exhortation, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And sometimes we might feel we're starting down this slippery slope of getting more and more care, more and more burdened, and more and more troubled, And it seems we're getting further and further away from faith and further and further from trusting in the Lord. Well, this text is a text to bring us back and it's remind us again what the course of action must be in not just some of our care, not just temporal cares, or not just spiritual cares. Sometimes in the churches we can tend to take everything and we immediately go to the spiritual application of it and we lose the the temple. We think of the parable of the Good Samaritan and many times we can, maybe in preaching, and we go straight to a spiritual application of it. But our Lord was teaching who is our neighbour and a very practical sermon and help of those that are our next door neighbours, whether they are believers or not, helping them. And and we mustn't pass over that and just speak on spiritual things. And so on the other side, we mustn't think, well, because my care is a temporal care, and is a care that seems to fall out of the scripture comforts, I cannot apply this or cannot see this as a help to me. No, it is all your care, whatever that is, not just some of it. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Well, this evening I want to propose three questions, and there will be our three points to answer concerning this, our text. And first is this, who... Who is it that all our care is to be cast upon? Our text says, casting all our care upon him, for he careth for you. Who is the him? Who is the he in our text? Secondly, how do we know that the exhortation is for us? Our text says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. How do we know? It is applying to us. Because unless we make that clear, then the devil comes in and he says, that is not to you, that is to someone else. So we want to answer that question. And then thirdly, how? How are we? To cast all our care 
upon him. If we are to obey this exhortation, if it is to mean anything at all to us, we need to know how we are to put it into practice. Casting, how are we to cast all our care upon him? I want to look then firstly at who, who is it? Well, if we look back to the fourth verse, we read this word, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The chapter begins with a word to the elders, a word to the under-shepherds, but then goes to the chief shepherd. And this is why, of course, we read John 10 of our Lord Jesus Christ, testifying that he is the good shepherd. So though we have an immediate word before our text, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that is who, that is who uh, we are to cast our cares upon, the mighty hand of God, but we also are to know him, remember him, as the chief shepherd. And it's good for us to, to actually realise this. If we were just to take the one verse and say the mighty hand of God, we don't get the, the caring picture of the chief shepherd. When we put the two together, we have a chief shepherd that is mighty and that his hand is the hand of God. That he is able to do exceeding far above all that we can ask and all that we can think. This is who we are exhorted to cast our care upon. Then we have in verse 10 another description of who it is we are to cast our care upon. And that is the God of all grace. The verse reads, But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make ye perfect, strengthen, establish, strengthen, settle you. <coughs> so we have another picture of him, the God of all grace, the free and sovereign grace of God, the unmerited gift of God, grace cannot be earned. Grace is kindness when kindness is not shown in return. What one of us don't know, something of what was said of Hezekiah who was healed of his sickness but then he showed the ambassadors round out of the pride of his heart and we read that he did not return according to the benefit received. And we are very poor ones to give thanks or to walk in a way that reflects the goodness and kindness of God to us. And when we are mindful of that, we need to be reminded 
that this is the God of all grace. Not the God of all kindness, but the God who gives kindness when those who show kindness to, they don't return that to him. How many times the disciples, we might say, let down the Lord or walked in a way that would have been so grieving in relation to our text. Remember when the disciples were in the ship and the waves were beating over the ship and the Lord was asleep in the hinder part of the ship. They came and they woke him and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? What a slight against the Lord. And the Lord had shown him many times his care over them, their bodies, their souls. But they were left to say this. And with Peter, of course, in denying our Lord and Saviour those three times. That counterwise blessing. How the Lord exhorts his people if they are to walk in the way that he walks in, you do not render evil for evil. And how the Lord for his people, he had not dealt with us after our sins deserve. The mercies of the Lord, the grace and kindness of the Lord is made manifest here in the context as to who it is that we are to cast our care upon him. There's one last thing that really emphasizes who it is, and it is he that careth for you. He that careth for you. And that is a very sacred, very blessed thing to realize, to know, that this one in whom we go to cast our care, actually does have our care at heart, that he does care for us. Now if a child was to have a care and trouble and they went to the parent, it would be a comfort to them to know that that parent loved them, that that parent did care for them, that that parent had the ability to do what they wanted them to do, and that actually though they had done many things to grieve that parent, that parent would not hold them against them. They would still appear for their help and in their extremity and in their need. I wonder how many times we really meditate and think of our God. The devil will say he's a hard taskmaster. The devil will say uh, that uh, he is an austere man. Uh, and that he is not one that will hearken or listen to us. How often he will stop us, turn us away. What a solemn thing it was that Absalom did to David his father. When people were coming, coming to the court, they would have come to David, but Absalom stopped. He said, there's no one deputed to hear your case. I will deal with it. I will hear it. And that person was stopped from coming and he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. May we not be hindered in casting our care and coming to the Lord. So the answer for our first question, who is it? Who is it? It is the 
mighty hand of God, it is the chief shepherd, it is the God of all grace, and it is he that careth for you. But our second question asks this, how do we know that the exhortation is for us, that we are the you in the text? If we go back to John 10 and we think of our Lord Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd and that which we read this evening, the Lord says that he knows his sheep and his sheep they know him. And he gives one very specific token of them being his sheep and that is that they hear his voice. One of the very first things the Lord does when he calls a people, is to open their ear. The way the Lord keeps, preserves his people, the way he instructs them in doctrines of grace, in all the ways of righteousness, in the ways of salvation, is through the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But if you're like me, my own regeneracy, I used to just shut off when the word of God was read. I heard the words outwardly, I never heard it inwardly, it never meant anything to me at all. And it is a blessed thing when the Holy Spirit opens the ear. For the first time we begin to hear not just words, but the word of God. Remember what was said by Paul of the Thessalonians, he received the word of God which he heard of us as it is in truth the word of God and not the word of man. And how vital that that is. Unless we should just take that for granted, you know solemnly there are those churches that will say, oh, that part of the word of God, that's just Paul, that's just Peter. And they don't ascribe it all to the inspired, infallible word of God. And so... If that is their outward profession, how can they ever receive or hear the word of God? And the first thing then is actually be brought to esteem every word of God as pure. David, he says, thy, uh, uh, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Jeremiah, he says, thy words were found and I did eat them, they were to the joy and rejoicing of my heart. To the word of God we must come, and it is a token of being a sheep, a token of being one of those that the chief shepherd cares for, when we have had our ears open to hear the word of God. You might say, well, how do I really know that? We spoke of some of the cares of being our sins. The law was given that sin might abound. You can't know your sins, not in a real way that touches your heart and that really brings you in as a guilty sinner, except by hearing the law of God. The Apostle Paul, he was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees, until the law came, he says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And that Pharisee first heard the word and it convicted him and brought him in. 
as a sinner. Then writer says, sinners can say, and none but they, how precious is the Saviour. And it is absolutely vital that we be convicted of our sin, feel our sin, know that we are sinners, before ever we can be saved. Sin must be a burden that the Lord removes, a burden he carried, a burden that he bore even unto death. And so one of the marks of the you and the your, passing all your care upon him, if your care is those cares that are brought about by reading the Word of God and the Word of God has read you and found you out and brought you in as guilty, then you cannot say you haven't got an open ear because that very Word has entered, has had an effect, has brought you into concern and brought you into that very care that is spoken of here. We have then in verse 10 that we've already referred to the uh, reference to calling. The God of all grace who hath called us. So those that are the you and those that are the your, they are those that have been called. We know our election by calling. The Lord says that no man can come unto me Except the Father which sent me, draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Whenever we know that sacred effect of the drawing of the Holy Ghost, you know you can't see the power between a piece of steel and a magnet, but you can feel it and it makes the effect, it draws. And it's a sacred thing when we feel that drawing to the Word, drawing to prayer, drawing to the house of God, drawing to the people of God, like dear Ruth. She clave unto Naomi, and she was drawn towards the people of God. The Lord said, Who that, He that receiveth you, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. There's a beautiful link together there. The disciples being let go, they went unto their own company. And the exhortation to the people of God, and really it will be the effect. Come out from among them. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. You shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The calling by God's grace. If while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, how much more, being reconciled, shall we be saved? through his life. The Lord commends his love toward us in that he died for us. Greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he says, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. And it is a blessed thing if we have been drawn to the Lord we are concerned to do that which is pleasing in his sight, to walk in a way that is right in his sight. And a lot of the trouble that we have and the burden of our heart is that we're so unholy, unrighteous. But then if that is the case, we come under that blessing. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, 
for they shall be filled. And we have these marks of the the your and your you in the context here of those that are called to cast all your care upon him for he careth for you. Now there's an answer here as well to an objection. Well, if the devil might say if you're a child of God, you shouldn't have care. You should have faith. You should be trusting in the Lord. You shouldn't get into a low, despondent place. Then why is the need for an exhortation? If these things are just automatic, if this word was never to find out one of the people in the ditch and despondent and low and bowed down with much care, why, why would there need be of that? We mentioned of Martha, an example of having care even with the Lord's presence there. We mentioned of the care of the disciples uh, that they were going to be swamped with the boat and the Lord was in the ship and yet they had this care. Don't think that just because we are the people of God and called that we won't get into these low places and so full of care and so full of trouble that sometimes you can come into the house of God and you can sit through a whole sermon and you haven't heard it because you're so thinking about your care, or I've had it in taking the reading at home, and sometimes it has happened in the house of God, and I'll read the chapter and I get near to the end of the chapter, and I suddenly think, I can't remember reading that. Have I read over that? And I've read automatically, and and I find it amazing how minds can do it, to read audibly and no one in that room has ever said anything or picked anything different, my mind has been right away thinking about other things. And sometimes it is just care and burden and I've just read automatically, not heard a thing of the Word of God that I have read myself. And care is a great thing that just hinders and stops us and prevents us from the Lord. It's a good reason why it is that we are exhorted here, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I do want to, in the looking at the your and the you, to really go as low as I could, not to discourage any from casting all their care upon him, because how easy the devil would discourage the people of God. But if the Lord has given you a hearing ear, that your care, part of it is because of the word of God, then you come under the word that is here. You know we at Cranbrook give out Bibles to many people. We speak to many people. And I've spoken to many people as regards their souls, they have no care at all. I impressed upon them the worth of their soul, eternity to come. I've heard them say, so what you're saying is, that if I go on in the way I'm going, then I'm on the way to hell. I said, yes, you are. And off they go. They're not interested in hearing anything more. They have no concern. They don't really believe 
the word that is spoken to them, is a very different thing when the Lord brings us into concern. And we have a real concern. Our ear is opened. And in addition to cares that all our fellow mortals have, we have something that is great, and that is the care of our soul. Remember in John 6, where our Lord had fed the multitudes, and they had followed him the other side of the sea. And he said to them, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labour not for the bread that perisheth, but for that which endureth unto everlasting life. And he made that very clear. They had care for their bodies. They had care to go where they could get a miraculous meal. But to think the person that made that bread to multiply as he did, he must be eternal God. He has the words of eternal life. He can provide for my soul. They had no concern for their soul. And how is it with us? Through the concerns of our soul, we eclipse the concerns of our bodies. And the Apostle Paul, he said, in all the things he went through, I count not my life dear unto me. And I think what a wonderful thing in that. How often those of us in the ministry, and if we were to street preach or speak to those in the street, we're thinking, well, we better watch what we say. If I say this, then this is going to happen. And the Apostle Paul could easily have said, if I say this, I say that, I'm going to be apprehended and be cast into prison. And especially today, in all of the, the political correctness, how easy it could be a temptation or modify or say something a bit different. And what is it? We're trying to preserve our bodies, our reputations, our lives, our livelihood. Very easy that can be the uppermost concern instead of our soul. But nevertheless, if we are in a position that that is part of our care, that again is what we are to cast upon the Lord. Casting not some, but all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I hope in looking at answering the question as to who is the you and your, that you may find that this word is for you, that you are one that the Lord has opened your ear, has called you, has brought you uh, to hear his voice. We can add just another. It says here, for he careth for you. Now I would be very wrong, and I believe some of you would as well, if you were to look back over your life, if I was to look back over mine, and say the Lord has never cared for me. Then he says here, for he careth for you. Not he has cared for you. That would be true. It is true in my case. But he is an ongoing care. He careth for you. And we are not to cast away previous care, watchful care, 
that we have realized the Lord has provided, preserved us, kept us, helped us. There's many times I am very sure that the Lord's care over us and over me has been when I have not discerned it. I may have used this illustration here before, but if we had a blind person and we had a road that was full of potholes and we had to guide that person along that road, if we were to hold their to hold their arm and we got to the other side and we'd stumble from one hole to the other hole and the, the, the person that had nearly fallen but hung on to the arm got to the other side and said, thank you for all that care. That was a, a wonderful to be brought over that really rough and holy road to get the other side safely. That blind person would be mindful of what that road was like and the care in having such a guide. But what if you had a different type of guide? And they skillfully guided the blind person round every hole. They never put their foot wrong. They never suddenly dropped into a hole. They got the other side and said, well, that was fine. I didn't really need you. I could have, that was a nice smooth road. I could have got through myself. And I think how often that is so with us. We might get to the end of a journey or things in our lives and we think, well, we didn't really need the Lord's help there at all. And our prayers were not so needed, those urgent crying prayers. But little do we know the Lord's care that was over us and watchful care. Let us not cast away what he has already done He that has helped me hitherto shall help me all my journey through. I want to look then lastly at how. How we are to cast all our care upon him. The principal way of course is by prayer. By prayer and supplication make known your requests unto God. And it is in that way that we come before him and pray and cast those cares in prayer before him. Sometimes at home we may go over things that we are cared over as husband and wife and discuss many of these things. And then we have our family worship. Sometimes we will enumerate all those things and other times we'll ask the Lord, Lord, thou hast heard all that we've gone over, all that we've spoken of, all of our care, all the things that we're worried with. Take these things, manage them, deal with them for us, help us to leave them with thee. And that is what is set forth here. If we cast something, we're letting go of it. It's a very distinctive thing, isn't it? You can't throw something or cast something without letting go of it. And this is what we set before us here. But, you know, we've sung in our middle here the many changes the people of God go through. And if you're like me, you'll find you're casting those same cares in prayer again and again, day after day. Sometimes hour after hour. Well, there's things that are joined with this. 
This verse doesn't stand in isolation. And so we have before it the exhortations to humility. Sometimes our care can be really rooted in pride. We're worried about our reputation. We're worried about ourselves. And if we're brought down in the previous verse to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, then that deals with a lot of that care. The thing that's happening, that unexpected thing that's come along, the thing that we say, how can this happen? It's man that's brought it, or what shall we do? And then to be reminded, well, this actually is not by chance. The mighty hand of God has brought this into your life. Humble yourself before him. And he gives a direction in dealing with that care is to actually bow before the Lord. Humble before the Lord. Instead of thinking, well, how shall we get rid of it? How shall we get out of it? How shall we avoid it? Think, this is the hand of my God. This is the hand of my shepherd. This is he who is chastening me with a mark of sonship. So humility is very closely joined with casting our care upon him. Soberness, the verses following. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Some of those cares may very much arise from how the devil is tempting and what slights he's putting on the Lord or what construction he's putting. And so it's not in isolation that the exhortation is to cast our care, to pray, to bring these things before the Lord. What a blessed thing it is that as we come, we come to a throne, we come to a throne of grace, We come to a mercy seat, a blood-sprinkled mercy seat, and we realise that this one to whom we come, the chief shepherd, is he that in the 10th of John that we ran, read, is he that laid down his life for the sheep, who shed his precious blood to redeem them, who paid the debt that they incurred, And when we come before him with our care, then to get that little glimpse of him. Now if we were to cast our care upon one naturally, it makes us to think of that person we're coming to. And this text should do the same. That we be mindful, especially where our care is our sins, our burdens, I think, whose burdens did Christ bear in Gethsemane? Whose burdens, what burdens did he bear as he went to the cross? Why did he suffer? Why did he die? And he is coming with him, with our care. We get a view of him who suffered in our place. One who could not care more one who laid down his life and suffered, bled and died 
for the sins of his people so that they would be delivered so that they would be saved so that they would not be lost our Lord in John 10 spoke of the security of God's people they are in his hand they are in his father's hand and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand Paul when he speaks to the Romans in Romans 8 he finishes with that persuasion that nothing was able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And as we come to the Lord to view him, to view him bearing our sins in his body on the tree, to view the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, to view him in our place. What a blessed thing to then feel our care melt away as we see him and we realise that care that he has for us to the uttermost to lay down his life for the sheep. No man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I power to lay it down. I power to take it again. This is he we come to And this is how we come. And we come in that way that brings us to his dear feet and to see him in that situation and that place where he offered himself that ransom and paid our debt and bore our sin. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.